Hello everyone and welcome to episode four of Returns Unboxed and a very happy new year. I cannot believe we're in January already. Christmas went by in the blink of an eye. I hope you all had a really, really lovely time. I'm Laura, a Returns nerd here at Rebound and your regular host on the Returns Unboxed podcast. If you're new to the podcast, we're all about unpacking the ever-evolving landscape of returns, keeping you listeners out in retail land, up to date and in the know. And for this episode, I'm once again joined by my lovely co-host, Emily. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me again. It's great to be back. Can't wait to uh, get stuck into this one. We had so much fun recording our festive episode, diving into we the did. 12 weird returns tales. I just had to get you back. Couldn't get enough of you. Oh, thank you. The retail sector is increasingly under financial pressure, so the topic of returns has never been more current, as retailers search for solutions to improve the bottom line. With unparalleled press coverage in recent months, there has been a real spotlight on the risk of fraudulent returns activity, and not to mention the financial implications of physically managing the returns process as well. Yet, talk is cheap. When it comes to actually implementing a solution, the position responsible for owning returns continues to be on an ad hoc basis. Warehouse operations, logistics manager, finance, supply chain, procurement are all typically involved, but none of them have the time or well-rounded picture to address returns officially. This resource gap is one of the reasons why returns is often overlooked in a typical boardroom discussion. It's time the impact and indeed the opportunity of returns, after all that's what we're all about here at Rebound, is fully understood at a wider company level. So Emily, did you know that Accenture analysts found that a well-managed returns experience can drive a 29% increase in profit per customer over a three-year span? It's quite a specific stat, so I'll be amazed if you did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I didn't know that specifically, but I'm not necessarily surprised. Um, If I've ever bought anything online and the returns journey is really difficult, if I've got lots of steps to do, if I've had to pay an extortionate amount for it as well, I'm not likely to to go back and, and buy from them again. So that makes sense to me. Yeah, you're definitely not alone in that. There's lots of people that feel that way. And despite this, priorities often lie elsewhere. With limited job roles dedicated to returns initiatives, it can be difficult to get returns discussed at board level. Admittedly, we've seen more heads of returns coming up in recent years, but they're still not commonplace. And tackling returns takes a real champion. Um, if you're listening to this, we're assuming that that's you. So nice job. <laughs> However, we do know how difficult driving a project through can be. In any retail environment, there are always several projects on the go, and we're used to the fact that returns is rarely prioritised. So we've created this episode to help you navigate the journey of creating a business case for returns. We'll talk you through who you should be talking to, what questions you should be asking, and telling you how to uncover the hard facts that your board can't dispute. So with that being said then, let's look into how people can build a business case for returns. What we hear from retailers time and time and again is we just don't have the IT resource or that's going to have to go in a queue along with a bunch of other projects across the business. This is something we hear quite a lot and is increasingly frustrating for everyone involved. On top of that, there's also a lot of other internal barriers to driving change. According to a study by Internet Retailing, more than a third of retailers say they are held back from improving returns by having other priorities and 16% blaming it on a lack of investment. Putting forward the right business case for moving returns up the agenda can keep focus and momentum for your returns initiative. Building a business case means gathering data and evidence so that you can answer two questions. Firstly, why do you need to focus on returns? And second, and why now? Start with your unique why. It sounds like a a two-year-old toddler. Why? (laughs) Why? You've got to find out the why because that's ultimately ultimately what's going to drive it forwards. 
So you've, there's loads of different reasons that you could uh, that you could use to start a returns project. Um, the first one might be, for example, a poor customer experience. So returns are intrinsically linked with customer satisfaction. 85% of shoppers say that they won't re- repeat buy if returns are complicated or inconvenient, according to Narvar. So don't forget, it's not all about the business bottom line. The second is changing customer expectations. So in a recent survey Rebound conducted, we found that 73% of shoppers indicated a willingness to pay extra for returns if it meant they were handled in a sustainable way. So what this shows is that shoppers are starting to think more about their environmental impact more than ever before and retailers need to keep up with this demand if they don't want to lose those valuable customers. Yeah, that's definitely something that we've seen a real increase in in brands coming to us asking really how can they make their returns more sustainable because they know that they need to do a better job of evaluating the returns process and reporting on the sustainability of their returns. And that also ties in a little bit to rising return costs and poor operational efficiencies. A lot of people are a bit misguided in thinking that sustainability has to cost loads of money. We've got a whole Mm -hmm. ebook that proves that that's not the case self-plug there as <laughs> as is becoming quite a typical segment in the Returns box podcast. Uh, but rising return costs and poor operational efficiencies are definitely a factor that your board will really care about if returns costs are spiralling, operational costs are going up and up and you're really struggling to keep on top of it and be efficient in that manner. You're, you, there's a really kind of huge opportunity there to drive those down. So your board will definitely want to hear about that. The, the fourth and final one is changing legislation. Um, So the EU has implemented extended producer responsibility, um, better known as EPR. Um, And what this means is it makes producers responsible for managing the disposal of products at the end of life while incentivising producers to consider the environmental impact of the products. Um, But I believe we've got another episode coming up on this very soon. So um, just watch that space on that. We have February. Next, Next episode of Returns Unboxed, we're diving into EPR. Um, which amazing yeah which I'm really really excited for because it's such a relevant topic at the moment but it's also a topic that when it comes to returns I know quite little about so <laughs> I'll, uh, yes. I'll, we'll have the real EPR experts on here uh, running circles around me which will be which will be entertaining <laughs> a sustainability takeover yes love it. yes I love it sustainability <laughs> hijacking the podcast <laughs> understanding why you need to focus on returns will also give you a good idea of urgency After all, a rapidly increasing return rate shouldn't be ignored and fixing a rubbish customer experience should always be a priority. So by understanding the why, you really can put to your board how quickly you need to fix these issues. So that brings us nicely to the second stage of making your business case. And like many things in life, building a returns project is easier with a team around you. So stage two is all about building your returns tribe. The returns process touches many areas of the business, so it's important to build a tribe of like-minded people who also have their own returns challenges and rally together to paint a full picture of the current state of returns, what needs to be improved and why. You'll find it much easier to get board buy-in if they can see the benefits a returns project will have across multiple departments after all. And I think it's key to remember as well that returns aren't just a logistics problem. So here are some people you could invite to get involved in your returns tribe. Uh, So obviously you've got your logistics and your operations team, um, your e-commerce team as well, and your customer service. Absolutely. And I don't think we can forget IT and business analysts. Even though people say that IT might be a bit of a blocker, they're going to be even more of a blocker if you don't tell them about it and drop it and drop it on their desk last minute. Finance have a huge part to play because they're going to be the ones that are really looking at how much investment you can put into this. And of course, sustainability. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Laura. With the average return rate being around 30%, the higher that percentage, the more carbon emissions which are being racked up for returns, and this needs to be addressed. Understanding returns and their sustainability impact gives retailers the opportunity to reduce the amount of carbon which is associated with them, alongside looking at things like alternative transport routes and fuel types. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, you know, you mentioned the average return rate being around 30% for fashion. That can obviously Mm -hmm. creep up even higher for things like uh, evening wear, where return rates can even be up to like 70% in some cases. So it's definitely definitely a priority. And the bottom line is that nobody knows everything. So you need to draw on your colleagues' knowledge of different departments to better understand the impact returns are having across the whole business. If you're on finance, you're not going to understand how customer experience is impacted, how your logistics teams are impacted. So just talk Mm -hmm. to them directly. You're going to need multi-departmental buy-in when you're looking to implement a returns project anyway because it does touch so many areas of the business. So it's better to get them involved early, make sure the solution you propose addresses each department's main pain points and really get them behind you. Once you've got your returns team, then it's time to get hands-on. Emily, have you ever in your life received feedback request from a retailer asking for feedback on their returns journey? No. Um, No, you mention it. No, I haven't. I've had emails about rating the delivery experience or products, though. I could probably fill a novel with all of those kinds of emails. What kind of novel are we talking? Is it like a Hobbit length or is it more War and Peace? I don't know. That depends. How long is The Hobbit? I'm going to let me check. (laughs) It is 300 pages exactly. Well, my copy is anyway. Uh, of course you had a copy of the hobbit to hand i've got two i've got the uh i've got the graphic novel here as well which i think from memory is like 133 pages something like that okay so 300 pages and war and peace is what 1500 pages is it yeah something like that okay so probably in the middle then those two (laughs) (laughs) but there lies the problem right building a business case is challenging unless you can prove that shoppers aren't loving the experience Send feedback emails after a customer has placed a return, not just an order. Comb through social media and, of course, evaluate tickets in your help desk. I think brands should also just become their own shopper. Actually buy something and return it and see how you find the process. Maybe ask your friends, your family, your kids. Get as much feedback around you as possible, especially if your friends and family represent that target audience as well. Yeah, that's a really good tip, Em. And we help lots of brands evaluate their returns offering. And something we see time and time again is a mismatch of information. So the various parts of returns journey is typically owned by many different people. So you've got someone looking after the website, someone looking after what's actually operationally available, someone looking after the impartial paperwork, if that's still being included. And with these people rarely communicating, it's very easy to end up with inconsistent information. So the return options listed on the website might be different to what's on the paperwork, and both of those might be different to what's actually operationally available. It really takes someone going through the journey start to finish to spot those inconsistencies that you're putting in front of shoppers. So people really need to stop looking at the part that they own in a silo and instead look at the bigger picture. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, once they've done that, they can get really sneaky and check out the competition. That's public information in my opinion. So fair game. Yeah, I agree. Little sneaky sneak. Little sneak sneak. Uh, my recommendation then, check out your competition and look at things like how long is their returns policy? Do they offer free returns? How many return options do they currently have available? How quick are they refunding people? How easy is it to find and understand their returns information? And in my opinion, obviously work in sustainability, are they offering sustainable returns options? 
I never knew you were such a sleuth, Em. (laughs) (laughs) Always. (laughs) But yes, absolutely. This can help build up a clear benchmark and ranking system, which can help you show your board where you sit on the scale. Chances are your board's going to have lofty revenue targets to hit and market share to grow. So if you can show that you're trailing the competition and you're getting poor customer feedback, plus sharing crucial stats around how returns impact the buying behaviour, it's going to make them pretty hard for them to say no to. Yeah, but I think we've missed a crucial step here, Laura. What's that? We could just send you in. (laughs) Um, I challenge anyone to go toe-to-toe with you on whether or not it's worth investing in a returns project, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, I'd bet on myself in that scenario as well. (laughs) So we've really just skimmed the surface, and as always, there's loads more we can talk about in this area. Perhaps we'll have to do some follow-up content. What else do returns champions need to do? Follow-up content, you're trying to give me loads of work. You're trying to give me more work to do. Um, Our returns champions really just need to be prepared to answer questions. A common one that they're undoubtedly going to get is, should we build or buy a return solution? And to answer that, you really need to have a good understanding of the cost, time and resource, as well as the logistics, expertise and energy involved. I think you're right, Em, we're definitely going to need to do some follow-up content because there's only just enough time left to do our You Found What in the Box segment, Ah. which is my favourite segment. After our bumper set of stories during the Christmas special, you think we'd be fresh out of weird return tales. Luckily for you, we seem to have a limitless supply coming into podcast at reboundreturns.com. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Well done, humanity. And this (laughs) week's story is a doozy. And we've had, as a little refresher, we've had raw chicken carcasses. We've had live tarantulas. We've had £500 cash. We've had all kinds of stories coming in. But this week, the weird return that a brand received is a blender with its contents still inside. <laughs> now, oh. the the brand that sent this in was a fashion brand, so that it's not like somebody's returning a blender that they've bought from them. They got so yeah. raged, they didn't, you know, they raged so much that it broke that they just sent it back as was. Um, and they also specified to say that it smelled really bad. Oh, I can imagine. Like, oh. Why would you? I, do you know, it's like one of those weird things where people put the remotes in the fridge and forget that they've done it, isn't it? It's like, a, I mean, where's that blender gone? Remote in I've the fridge and blender it. in a returns parcel are very different. <laughs> they're very, they are, they're very different. And oh imagine like, gosh. if you're making a blender, like you're making something creamy aren't you really you're making a smoothie or a soup it's gonna have milk yeah. or cream or it's veg. gonna go off quick that is isn't it yeah and if it's like the height of summer and it's been sat sweating in the back of a delivery van oh did do we know if that um person also returned their clothes as well i don't i don't i could reach out i could ask I could find yeah, out because that would be interesting wouldn't it to see like was it just a genuine mistake or are they trying to send somebody a blender and they've put the wrong label on? How how is that a genuine mistake? Even if they're sending, <laughs> even if they're trying to return it to the retailer that they bought the blender from, how have they done that with the contents still inside? The only acceptable acceptable excuse I will allow is that it was a blender that they had bought. They're returning it to the retailer that they bought the blender from, and they couldn't get the lid off, and that's why they thought it was broken. But I actually think, yeah. I mean. Props to this, I think this is a good advert for this blender because it's been thrown around in the back of a delivery van or returns van. Uh, it's not smashed, lid's not come off, mm-hmm. it's robust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's robust, what, yeah. A great, what a great advert. 
<laughs> but yeah, if they'd return the clothes, there'd definitely be some, uh, there'd be a bit of a whiff to them, wouldn't there as well? Anyway, keep sending in your weird return stories to podcast at reboundreturns.com uh, because we just love all the weird and wonderful stories. Right, um, let's recap with some handy takeaways for you before we say our goodbyes. If you remember three things from today's episode, make it these. Find your why. Building a business case means gathering data and evidence so that you can answer two questions. Why do you need to focus on returns and why now? Remember, be a toddler, keep asking why. (laughs) If you want to get a consensus at board level, the first step is having compelling answers to these questions. And then you really need to build your returns tribe. Building the case is easy with the team around you and the returns process touches many areas of the business. So build a tribe of like-minded people who also have their own returns challenges. And last but not least, get hands-on. Gather feedback, use your own services, get friends and family too as well. Really strength test the experience. Get sleuthing, snaky, to gather (laughs) the evidence to build your case. That's all we've got time for on episode four of Returns Unboxed. Thank you so much for all the love on the podcast and for spending the last 20-ish minutes with us. But don't worry, we've got lots more weird return stories and returns advice coming to you throughout the rest of the year, including more talk around EPR. We touched on it a little bit in this episode, but we're really getting into the weeds of it in February's episode. So we hope to see you all there. Don't forget to hit subscribe and send us any questions, return stories or retail confessions to podcast at reboundreturns.com. Emily, as ever, thank you for being my lovely and gracious host and listening to me whitter on for a while. <laughs> and we'll You're ca- welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you all in the next episode of Returns Unboxed. Bye.